Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, the gospel for this weekend is taken from the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and it features three marvelous parables of Jesus. How rich are the parables? How inexhaustible in meaning? You know, if Jesus had simply taught in the manner of a theologian, his words would be, you know, relatively univocal, straightforward. But see, parables like uh, poems and stories and songs have multiple layers. They just have a way of, of generating new meaning across the centuries. And that's certainly true now in the, in the case of these great parables of Jesus. So what I'll do in this sermon is just say a simple thing about each of these three, though they all have multiple senses. We could spend a whole year talking about them. We still wouldn't uh, exhaust these parables. So the first one is the well-known parable of the wheat and the tares, to give it its classical name. We could say the, the wheat and the weeds. We hear of a man who sowed his field with good seed, but then an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. So then the two begin to grow side by side, and friends say to the planter, look, let us pull up the weeds. But he replies, no, no, if, if you pull up the weeds, you might uproot the wheat along with them. Okay. This speaks to something, I think, really fundamental in our spiritual experience. I'll state the principle abstractly first, and I'll give you some examples. Here's the abstract statement of it. Some goods simply would not exist unless paired with certain types of evil. Let me say it again. Some goods simply wouldn't exist unless they were paired with certain types of evil. Now, I believe in a higher world, it's otherwise. You know, someday in heaven, this is the case that that this principle wouldn't hold. But here below, in our finite, conflictual, and sinful world, it's simply the case that certain goods would not exist without certain forms of struggle, resistance, even wickedness. So, examples. And once you, you hear these, you say, oh yeah, sure, sure, that's part of our ordinary experience. Think of a little kid heading off for his first day of school. I mean, think of the enormous, I still vaguely remember it when I went off for my first day of you know, kindergarten, and the enormous anxiety, the difficulty as you're wrenched away from the world that you know, you're wrenched away from everything that, that makes you feel comfortable and so on, and you're, you're forced into this alien environment with people you don't know, etc. How traumatic that is. Or think of a young you know, teenager, an 18-year-old heading off for his uh, first day of college. And, and I have a vivid memory of that when I first left for the University of Notre Dame, my first year of college. And uh, same thing now at a higher pitch because you're, you're more plugged in. 
you're leaving your whole world behind, your family and your friends and your, your comfortable environment, your neighborhood, and you leave it all behind. And you're placed in this, in this totally alien environment. Think of a young woman setting out for her first day of work. So she's got her degree and she's full of you know, uh, confidence and preparation. But now the day has come and she's got to set out for that first day of work. And think of the enormous nervousness, anxiety, tension as she enters this new world. So in all three cases, what? Deeper maturity, experience, and ultimately joy would simply not be possible apart from suffering. Suppose somebody were to say in regard to that little kid going off to school, oh, the poor kid, look at him. Look at how he's suffering. Take that away. Tear up that experience. Or the 18-year-old heading off to college. You know, it's too much for him. Come on, look at all the suffering he's going through. Tear up those weeds. This young woman, look at look at the pain she's going through. She shouldn't have to go through that. Get rid of that. In every case, deeper maturity, experience, joy would simply not be possible. Think of somebody who struggled mightily against a stubborn chronic disease for many years. I think you know, my time in the parish when I knew a lot of folks who were going through these physical difficulties. In many cases, you could ask the question, would that person have grown in patience, courage, empathy, depth of soul without the illness? Just take, take that illness away. Get rid of that illness, people would say. Yeah, but lots of virtues wouldn't have come unless the person were struggling against that illness. Now, now push it even further, and I'll get a little more controversial, but I'm following St. Thomas Aquinas here. Would the shining virtues of a Maximilian Kolbe or an Edith Stein or a Dietrich Bonhoeffer have emerged without the wickedness of Hitler and the Nazis? Now, I know, I know, it can sound facile, like, was that, is that a justification for the Nazis? Well, no, I'm not going to argue that. But nevertheless, as Aquinas says, without the cruelty of the tyrant, we would not have the patience of the martyrs. It's just true in this world, isn't it? Again, in a higher world, it's going to be otherwise. But here below, certain forms of good and virtue appear only when they're profiled against certain forms of suffering and even wickedness. If in our enthusiasm to eliminate suffering, so we're like those, those workers that say, look, Master, let's just tear up all these weeds. If in our enthusiasm we were to say to God, look, tear out all the weeds of human life, of human experience now, we would eliminate huge swaths of positive experience and moral excellence. Easy answer? I don't think so. Not easy. Does it clear up every puzzle and frustration and conundrum? Obviously not. But I do think, in its very provocative way, this parable shows a path. It reveals a pattern. Like it or not, weeds and wheat grow up together in this world. Tearing up the weeds isn't always the right answer. In fact, the wheat can be compromised. Okay? Second parable. 
from today's gospel is the beloved, well-known parable of the mustard seed. The Lord says it's the smallest of all the seeds, yet when full-grown, it's the largest of plants. It becomes a large bush, and the birds of the sky come and dwell in its branches. What's the principle? Mighty things come in God's providence from small beginnings. Mighty things through God's providence come from small beginnings. You know, the principle is played out, I, I think it's, it's almost commonplace, in the lives of the saints. Over and over again, this mustard seed principle is on display. Francis of Assisi hears the voice from the crucifix. Francis, rebuild my church. Here's this single figure, this kind of marginal guy. Most people thought he was a little crazy. And he starts literally rebuilding this fallen church. Could you imagine a more humble beginning? Then a handful of people see him, and maybe they're half amused, half intrigued. They join him. Eventually 12. That little group makes its way to Rome. Their order is approved. Within a few years, thousands have joined Francis. Within a few decades, they've spread all over Europe. Within a century, all over the world. Mustard seed principle, great things come from very small beginnings. Think of St. Benedict. Leaves Rome, he's sort of fed up with the corruption of the city of Rome. He's a young man studying there, and he's just, he's just sort of shocked by it all, and he flees to the countryside, lives in a cave. He's a hermit. In time, a handful of people find his life intriguing. They seek him out. Few more join him. It's the beginnings of this monastic movement in the West that will eventually spread in such a way that it recivilizes Europe and eventually reaches the ends of the world. How did it start? One person, one kid, seeking the Lord in intense contemplation. Think of Rose Hawthorne, one of my favorite saints, the founders of the Hawthorne Dominicans, who to this day take care of cancer patients and, and terminal patients. Her ministry begins when she, out of the compassion of her heart, takes one woman into her own home. This woman who was so ravaged by cancer, the hospitals wouldn't take her in. Rose took her in, put her on a couch in her own house. And from that very humble beginning comes this order, which is now um, caring for people all over the country. Mother Teresa, you know, one person, one person just deciding, I'm going to go in the worst slum in the world. I'm going to pick up the, de the, uh, the dying. Now, Mother Teresa's communities everywhere around the world. Great things come from small beginnings in God's providence. So here's the thing, everybody. Don't worry about doing great things. Worry about being faithful. Sow the seed which has been given to you to sow. Let God worry about what will come of it. Third parable is like the previous one. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of wheat flour until the whole batch was leavened. What's the kingdom of heaven? It's God's way of ordering things. How often the Bible contrasts it to the world, which is the way of ordering things born of sin. When self-interest, rivalry, egotism, violence, and fear are fundamental, things will get ordered in a certain way, economically, politically, socially. St. Augustine, by the way, called this the civitas terrena, 
right? The earthly city. But the kingdom of God is a way of ordering things, born of love for God and neighbor, marked by generosity, peace, nonviolence, trust. And this will give rise to a new way of ordering things, from the family to a parish to a community to a nation-state. How in the world would one get this kind of project off the ground? One does it by putting this little bit of yeast, resolving to live maybe in your own life in a way that's radically in tune with the, the ways of God. In time, it'll come to affect the whole of society. Think here of John Paul II, 1979 in Warsaw. Clearing out a space where God could be proclaimed, human rights could be defended, where the great biblical view of the world could be on display. He was up against one of the mightiest nations in the history of the world, armed with nuclear weapons and a mighty army, but yet he cleared out that little space for the kingdom of God. What happened? Within his own lifetime, within a handful of years, that great dysfunctional empire collapsed. That one little bit of yeast, which will now give rise to the whole um, loaf of bread. So it goes now in the kingdom of God. Don't worry about accomplishing great things, but rather live right now in the smallest way in line with the kingdom. And let God and his providence bring this to full expression. Friends, revisit these three great parables from chapter 13 of Matthew, and may they enliven your mind and heart this week. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.